Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. Given the ascendancy of socialist ideology in America today, the basic principles on which our nation was founded are under attack. The concepts of individual freedom, personal responsibility, limited government, free market economy, and private property are the pillars of the philosophy of our Constitution's framers. To these great men, the totality of a person's private property was his land and home, his possessions, the work of his hands, the ideas of his mind, and his life itself. These beliefs form the legal basis for the rule of law and protection of individual rights that made America the greatest nation on earth. Today, these constitutional protections are being ridiculed, ignored, abused, altered, and eradicated by the elected and appointed government officials whose primary ambition is self-enrichment and a lust for power. They have pursued a divisive agenda of group identity politics to set us against each other instead of fostering the wishes of patriots for unity of purpose and policies that promote the true general welfare. In times of strife and conflict, when the established government is out of control and unresponsive to the rights of its people, rational citizens seek to replace the corrupt government with one that will obey the rule of law. The election of Ulysses S. Grant as president after the war between the states marked the end of the multi-party era of American politics. Since then, America has been almost exclusively a two-party political system in which Democrats and Republicans have shared virtually all the power. Contentious times, however, often serve as the incentive for the resurgence of small political parties and the formation of new new ones. In this context, we need to explore the origin of libertarian thought. Here is a brief summary from the Encyclopedia Britannica, which I now quote. Libertarianism has deep roots in Western thought, a central feature of the religious and intellectual traditions of ancient Israel and ancient Greece was the idea of a higher moral law that applied universally 
and that constrain the powers of even kings and governments. Christian theologians, including Tertullian in the 2nd and 3rd centuries and St. Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century, stressed the moral worth of the individual and the division of the world into two realms, one of which was the province of God and thus beyond the power of the state to control. Libertarianism also was influenced by debates among scholastic thinkers who developed the concept of self-mastery, later called self-propriety, property in one's own person, or self-ownership, and showed how it could be the foundation of a system of individual rights, all of which is part of libertarian philosophy. In response to the growth of royal absolutism in the early modern Europe, early libertarians, particularly those in the Netherlands and England, defended, developed, and radicalized existing notions of the rule of law, representative assemblies, and the rights of the people. The American Revolution was the watershed for libertarianism. In the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson enunciated many of libertarian ideas, including the belief in unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and the belief in the right and duty of citizens to throw off such government that violates these rights. Indeed, during and after the American Revolution, according to the American historian Bernard Balin, the major themes of 18th century libertarianism were brought to realization in written constitution, bills of rights, and limits on executive and legislative powers, especially the power to wage war. Such values have remained at the core of American political thought ever since. The Libertarian Party of the United States was formed in Colorado Springs in the home of Luke Zell by a group of individuals led by David Nolan on December 11, 1971. The formation was promoted in part by price controls and the end of the gold standard implemented by President Richard Nixon. The Libertarian Party viewed the dominant Republican and Democratic parties as having diverged from what they viewed as the libertarian principles of the American founding fathers. So I ask you, what is the status of the Libertarian Party and libertarian principles in America today? After our commercial break, we will return with my guests on Freedom Forum Radio, who are officials of the North Carolina Libertarian this is Dr. Dan, and we are back with Rob Yates, Communications Director of the North Carolina Libertarian Party, and Dee Watson, Political and Policy Director for the Libertarian, Libertarian Party of North Carolina. It is an honor and privilege to have you both as guests on Freedom Forum Radio. Thank yeah, you, thank so you very much. Absolutely. After you, Dee. Thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. I really appreciate being here. And that was a fantastic summary of the party. Well, I'm glad I, I was I gave you that summary because I wanted to know where we all came from. But what you guys are going to be talking about are libertarian principles. 
And those principles have been part of the human experience for centuries, but as a formal party only since 1971. So we, I think we ought to start be, uh, begin by talking about how the party started up in North Carolina, since that's our local party here, uh, and what kind of difficulties were involved in starting up a political party. I don't. I don't know that I would say the difficulties were specifically in starting the political party. It's maintaining the political party and growing the political party. It's actually. It's. It's surprisingly easy to just find a few like-minded people together and call yourselves a political party, but to take what has been created at a higher level, at a national level, for example, and and sort of develop it into a set of of policies and a platform that applies to where you are. And and the idea of decentralization and really thinking local is very much um, a key component, really a foundational component of the libertarian philosophy. And so, you know, we look back, I think we officially founded in North Carolina in 1976. We've run a governor in every race, except I want to say 88. We've had a presidential support on the ticket in every race except 88. We've run tons of candidates. We had ballot access till 2004 and then regained it, the first state to actually regain it by a percentage and a governor governor vote with, um, I believe it was Munger who ran in 2008, and we've had it since then. Yeah, DJ shook her head, it was Munger, um, which is something we're pretty proud of in particular because North Carolina has some of the more restrictive ballot access laws in the country. Uh, which we're we're actually seeing come into play again now as the Green Party and perhaps the Forward Party are trying to get on the ballot. Um, just a quick aside, as far as irony goes, you know the Democrats right now, and and I'm not siding with Democrats over Republicans. We tend to have a, a equally low opinion of both the national parties, at least the big ones. But in North Carolina, Matthew Ho was trying to run for Senate for the Green Party in the the race this last summer. And the Elias Law Firm, who's all over the country, it's a big, huge Democrat donor. But they're suing left and right for what they call um, voter restriction. You know, they're they're anti-Republican. It's all this is this is racist or this is, you know, trying to drum up support at the ballot, just pro-Republican stuff. And they they filed a frivolous lawsuit hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to keep Matthew Hill off the ballot because they were worried about the Greens impact on the Democrats. Um, so dealing with the back to ballot access issues, certainly we uh, <laughs> were familiar with the duopoly's intent to maintain the sort of wall that they have against new parties coming in. But we've really worked hard to get to where we are today. Um, one of the things that we hit this year was 50,000 plus registered libertarians, which is we're the second state in the United States to do that after California, which obviously has, you know, five times as many people as we do. Um, but as we get into ballot access and sort of maintaining that, that's that's actually Dina's knows a lot about it, and that's much more within the under the umbrella of her role. So, D, let's talk about ballot access, uh, and I think that's really key because you said you said a word, Rob, that I really like, and that's duopoly. Uh, that is one of our 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 problems is is that the there is so much money involved in the Republican and Democrat parties that it is they use that money to restrict access to the ballot in many, many different ways. Well, what you know, so what do we go through in North Carolina for a, a party like the Libertarian Party, D? How, how do we go about uh, being on the ballot? 
and growing our share on the ballot. So in North Carolina, we've been pretty fortunate because the Republicans lessened the restrictions to in order to try to get the Greens on. So there's this idea that they kind of are fighting a, you know, third party war by having, you know, putting the Greens and us on the ballot. So they changed the restrictions so that if we can get on the presidential ballot in 35 states, uh, 70% or more, that we get on the ballot. And the idea was to help get the Greens on the ballot. Uh, that backfired for them because the Greens didn't get on the ballot. So right now it's not too bad because as long as we run president in 35 or more states, we're pretty safe. They can always change that law, and we have great concerns that they will. Uh, the Greens had horrific problems with invalidating signatures, and we've worked with the Constitution Party and the Veterans Party because this ballot access issue, even though we currently have ballot access and are pretty much guaranteed it uh, for 2024 and beyond, um, we still work with the Veterans Party and the Constitution Party trying to help their access. And we found that they're not even getting receipts for their petitions. And we've heard all of these horror stories and we know what the Greens went through. So um, right now, it's so important to us that we're actually helping other third parties with their own ballot access in the state. The other way that we can get ballot access in North Carolina is to get at least 2% in the presidential race or at least 2% in the governor's race. That doesn't sound like a lot, but it's actually incredibly difficult to get those numbers because a lot of people are just voting with their base and they view it as the lesser of two evils and they're really trying to cut out third parties. So tell me, Adi, I mean, you've, you've raised, what you've talked about is how you have some small parties that are kind of cooperating. Um I think the Libertarian Party is probably the, the prominent party in that group. Certainly would seem to seem so to me from in terms of membership and stuff like that. Absolutely. So why is it advantageous for you to help them out? I mean, I mean, I understand that's a nice thing to do, but on the other hand, um, if you have a bunch of small parties, doesn't that make it more difficult for you? It absolutely does. I actually, um, I ran for office and I was in the only four-way race. I had a green in my race and it really hurt my numbers. There's no question that if we have a green in the race, it really hurts our numbers. Um, they recently did attain ballot access and we even helped them. I even got signatures for the greens. Um, so does it help us? No. Why are we doing it? There's a principle to the thing. There's this idea that- absolutely. Yeah. There's this idea that we are the party of principle. Um, you know, if- you believe if you have you do something I don't like and it doesn't impact me, that's your right. And if the Greens want their own candidates on the ballot, I'm all for their rights. And we're just the party of principle. And in the long run, I, I feel like we can't win by being playing the political games that the Democrats and Republicans do. So we'll fight for ballot access for other parties, even though it's maybe not so pragmatic. So once again, what what is required to be on the ballot in the state of North Carolina? What what do you have to do? 
So it's for them to get on the first time, what they've got to do is they've got to get signatures and it's thousands of signatures and they have to be in a certain number of states, but they're having problems because the Greens came in and they got more than enough signatures. And then the Democrats who are contesting them, like it used to be like at the county level, you hand in the signatures at the county level. And then the state wasn't accepting those signatures that had already been verified at the county level. They've written articles, the John Locke Foundation, which is really a pretty libertarian leaning organization and not very pro-green. Um, they've even written articles about it. it, it they, there's been a lot of problems with shenanigans and the Democrats sued the Greens um, over some of the signatures and they've really made it, dif- it, they made it very difficult for the Greens to get on the ballot. I remember probably a decade or more ago, I worked, uh, I helped the Libertarian Party uh, collect signatures in, in the state. I was actually a member of the Libertarian Party. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, for quite a while, um, and but that's another story. Um, so um, and so, I did work with the Libertarian, and at that point, uh, it really co- was a costly venture in order to get those signatures because you had to pay people to actually go out and get the signatures. If you didn't have enough people to go ahead and do it. Is that the kind of thing that still goes on or is it, or have you reached a point where you have enough of a base that this is not an issue to be on the ballot? So we haven't collected signatures in a while. And I think the requirement used to be 64,000 and they've reduced it to, I think like 13. There's been a big reduction in the number of signatures, fortunately, but the Greens still had to pay people. And then um, the ethics of that was brought into question as part of the problem. So it, it yeah, you still have to pay people. Um, and there's even questions about like some, sometimes the Democrats have even talked about making it illegal to pay people, which would be really problematic. Um, we haven't had to deal with that for a while. And I don't think we're going to have to, at least through 2028. Well, you know, I mean, they may complain about paying but you're just paying people to do a job. They pay people to do a job all the time. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, so what's what's the biggie there, Rob? I mean, I don't think there is one. I think it's it's gatekeeping, pure and simple. You actually you mentioned the the potential pitfalls of more parties on the ballot. And certainly in the immediate future, we'd be up against that. And I think. It goes to this larger misconception that we're sort of like like Republican light or extreme Republicans, and we're really not. Like there are policy positions we overlap with Republicans to an extent and policy positions we overlap with Democrats. I think the Democrats' motivation is that if the libertarians in their mind are taking Republican votes off the ballot, then the Green Party would do the same for Democrats. And there's there's probably truth to the latter statement. But I think if you get to a place where you really have – six or seven candidates for multiple parties on the ballot instead of being forced to choose a team. I mean, essentially, that's what you're doing right now. Are you team red or team blue? And you support your team no matter what they do. Like, how many Republicans actually align with every stated policy position on on the Republican website? And same for the Democrats. But if you now have the Constitution Party and the Veterans Party and the Green Party and the Forward Party and the Libertarian Party, the Republican Party and the Democrat Party, you're at least theoretically in a system where a voter's voice matters on an issue because each party could champion a particular issue at that time. And that's, what's going to get attention. It's sort of like, 
you know, when Ross Perot ran and he got all the the votes for president, people were saying, you know, that disrupted for the first Bush. But I think what really happened is people were like, hey, a balanced budget sounds like a sensible idea. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. And people I just love to hear that old man sing. Yeah, when I play the hoochie coochie man, I get joy in everything. Everything, everything, everything.